Dear Father, we thank you again that you will be here and bring all our thoughts into captivity so we can hear your voice. As we look at Jesus, the perfect parent, the perfect teacher, our pattern, I thank you, Father, for that promise that we can do all things through you or th with your help in the Holy Spirit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wish I could have heard Beatrice another hour, <laughs> but we'll hear it tomorrow. And I want to say that when Rob, Mr. Montag, gave me this assignment, many months ago, so I had lots of time for preparation. There's so much material to read and so much counsel. And I knew that because I've been down this road as a homeschooling parent and it was overwhelming. And I knew that's probably how you all feel. And um, so I just focused on the little book education. I thought, I can handle that. And that was written for the public. It doesn't have the specifics which we all want to know. But that was a powerful read for a devotional read. And I outlined it, typed it, you know, just those points that stood out in my mind. I must have spent four months just for devotional time. Uh, you could just read that over and over and recommend with, to anyone a non-Christian, a non-member you know, of our church, the book of education has those basic principles. And I know that that book has been given to educators or to those accrediting our schools in the past. And when they read that book, they said, if you go by that book, that's all we'll hold you to is that book. Those are powerful principles. So anyway, I want to make that and give that encouraging word. Well, to begin with today, I want to give a little questionnaire um, that had been given over 50 times in the last 20 years by the Moore Foundation to youth who are between the age of 11 and 15. And this was the questionnaire for the youth. They were to choose two things that were most important to them. Okay, these are the options. And I want you all to be thinking what you think they chose. To get along with their age mates, you know, to be accepted by their peers. That's number one. Number two, have a good relationship with their parents and um, their hopes for them. To graduate well, that's number three. Number four, to be happily married. Number five, to be rich and have a dream car. Now, this was done 20 years ago. It said a Corvette. I don't know if boys still dream of Corvettes. So I put in maybe a sports vehicle. I know that's what my daughter wanted, was a truck. And then number six, to be saved. So, repeat, 
Did they choose to, to be accepted by their peers or have a good relationship with their parents <coughs> or to graduate well from a school, get a degree, or be happily married, or have their dream vehicle, or to be saved? How many would say out of, they've got to choose two things, so the students chose get along with their age mates as maybe number two or one of the two. Does anyone think it was that? You think that was number one, to get along with the peers? That'd be the important one. Okay. To have a good relationship with their parents? I think anyone chose that. You think maybe that was number two? Okay. To graduate well, get a degree, you know, be a six, successful student. Think any, many chose that? No? Happily married? Yeah. To be rich? Now, if you're a Christian child, you're probably not going to admit such an ambition. <laughs> But this was anonymous. So, you know, if it's anonymous, you can put down what you really think. To be saved. You think that's on their mind? Now, this was 20 years ago, but you know what it was? To get along with their parents. Can you believe that? And number two, to be saved. 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting to give this test now, anonymous, to students. Well, my point is, kids want to have the companionship of their parents. But parents are busy, so they adapt, right? And they're in school with their friends and spending the majority of their day, if they're in school, with their friends. So it looks like that's their world, and it probably is. Um, and if the students were over, let's see, 15, 15 to 19, there was sort of a toss-up between being happily married and um, <coughs> what was the other? a good relationship with the parents. And that would sort of make sense because they're now moving into a new home of their own. So of course they want to have a happy home there with their new spouse. Um, so that's what I wanted to talk about was number one as we look at the perfect parent who was Jesus. And he was parenting his 12 disciples who had serious defects. You know, I, as I was studying this, I was thinking, well, it was kind of easy. At least they were grown men. You were having to deal with all that foolishness of children, you know, and fighting and, you know. <laughs> then I immediately thought, no, no. They were fighting. They were, you know, who's better, me first. It was still there. They had serious defects. 
And when Jesus was finished, he only had three and a half years with them. And at the Last Supper, it looked bad. It looked bad. But then, when Peter failed, they all failed miserably. They felt their need. Boy, did they feel their need desperately. And then he left them. <laughs> but he gave them the Holy Spirit, the greatest gift. And when our, I hadn't even thought of this, but I hope I don't cry. When one of my daughters left home, I thought I had failed. And I went into deep depression over it. But those seeds were planted. And the Holy Spirit is still working in her heart. And one day recently, she said to me, Mom, I only want to know God's will and do it. I just, I, I have a prayer journal of Thanksgiving because I have to focus on Thanksgiving. Boy, I wrote that one in big time. <laughs> and and um, every year we homeschool, we were battling. I know why we were battling because I had the same fault she had. And you probably do too with your kids. And um, when Rob asked me to, you know, present on this, and I'm reading the council and saying, oh, yeah, they need to know this, they need to know this. And then I kept thinking, well, yeah, I knew that. Oh, and I tried, but I tried with force. You know, I really didn't know how to engage my thoughts to the Holy Spirit instantly you know, and, and just give the thoughts. I, I wasn't aware of the power of the thoughts. And boy, God has taught me that. And I hope that you all just come to the Lord every day. And this is what I do now that I have learned that lesson. I pray every day. It's a word picture. Lord, lay your hand on me that I may comprehend the length and width and depth and height of your love, that I may be filled with the Holy Spirit. I read that in, um, I think it was volume seven of the testimonies. And it, to me, it's a word picture. Lay your hand on me now, Lord, that I can comprehend. Because if you comprehend more and more the love of Jesus, then you can love your children like him. You can see that you're all sinners. Hopefully you're a little further along in the walk. You've learned some things. But, you know, you're all sinners. And the second thing I do every morning, and, and I would recommend it, and then I say, Lord, take my heart. I cannot give it. But it's your property. Keep my heart pure. Um, save me in spite of my weak, unchristlike self. And this part I love. 
This is another word picture. Now mold me, fashion me, raise me into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of your love can <laughs> flow through me. And there's another quote I read that fits right in there. Flow through me in tender thoughts and words and acts. So now you picture this love flowing in. So now when you open that door, you face those sweet little kids, or you, you know, you know you have the Lord beside you. And all day long, I've learned to pray this. Interesting thing happened. When my children left home, um, I thought, you know, I've really learned to become patient. <laughs> My husband was at work, and you know I'm all home all alone. And then my husband came home. He well, he was actually laid off, and we went through a period of time, and then now he's retired, and he's home all day long. And now I am battling patience again. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But <laughs> Lord's power. I am, he's giving me victory. Amen. And I hope my husband notices <laughs> I don't say those things. You know, as a homeschool parent, you know your goal. You're reading the council and, and you're in charge, right? But wrong, it's the Holy Spirit that's in charge and you're doing it in his power. And boy, you can really kind of become very controlling, very demanding, including husband. <laughs> wow. So uh, I've had to apologize a lot to my husband. He, he is very sweet, very patient, fortunately. And he will always say with a big smile, well, I'll forgive you if you don't do this again. <laughs> Oh, he knows the rest of the story. Okay, so companionship is a real biggie. But before I mention Jesus as the great companion of these 12 disciples, I want to mention that he had gone through 30 years of preparation. Remember that? And what was he doing during those 30 years of preparation for this parenting job, and a bigger job was to be a teacher. It's, uh, here's the preparation. This is education, so let's move on here. Jesus followed, we know, the divine plan of education. The schools of his time, we know, with the magnifying of things small and the belittling of things great, he did not seek. His education was gained directly from heaven-appointed sources. So here's another summary. Useful work. That was his preparation to be a parent. Study of the scriptures, nature, experiences of life, which is God's lesson book, full of instruction to all who bring to them a willing hand, seeing eye, understanding heart. So if you're a lazy parent, <laughs> it's not for you. You can't sit on the couch and say work. 
it just doesn't work. And if you're not, you know, if you're not praying and seeing those lessons like Beatrice said so powerfully, it's got to be in your heart a love for God's Word, love for Scripture. Okay, so moving along. Parents must acquaint themselves, it says, before taking upon themselves the possibilities of fatherhood and motherhood, men and women should become acquainted with the laws of physical development, physiology and hygiene, with their bearing on the prenatal influences, with the laws of hereditary, sanitation, dress, exercise, treatment of disease. They should understand the laws of mental development and moral training. Now I want to ask you a hard question. Did you all get that training? I didn't. And I was training to be a home ec teacher. So you got to take some educational classes. So I took philosophy of education. We read the little book education, but we also read other things. And then I took, you know, child development. But boy, I tell you, when you get and then I think there was one on marriage, family, something. But when you have children, you need much more than that. I had never babysit. I didn't have a younger child to take help and care for. And I always wanted a child. But boy, looking back, I needed preparation. So then I asked myself, and you all can ask yourself, Will my children have a preparation? Well, they'll have a real head start, but think of that. Have your children as soon as they can start reading child guidance. I think my daughters did. They read child guidance and um, Avenue's home, and they did a lot of babysitting. And together we were learning, wow. We, we came upon, there's lots of, you know, confusing ideas out there for parenting, disciplining, but they definitely felt the need to learn how to do this and had the experience of babysitting. So um, just remember, parents, you want to continue to be learners. Read it over and over with the Holy Spirit's guidance. and understanding the physiology and hygiene, I guess together as you learn these things with your children and studying um, a simple book of anatomy and physiology and the laws of health. I know we carefully went through councils on diet and foods, just carefully went through it. And so I loved homeschooling in this aspect. I got to continue to learn and together. Okay, here's a never statement. Never will education accomplish all that it might and should accomplish until the importance of the parents' work is fully recognized and they receive a training for its sacred responsibilities. I just wish, you know, that the colleges would add a class in there called parenting, or maybe high school. Okay, 
So Jesus prepared himself, and we know he spent much time in prayer with these, over these 12 disciples. And remember, he had one disciple that was one of those, what would we say, how do you describe Judas? Judas was constantly working against him. And he had Peter over there saying, you know, off the wall things. And, and so he had these two conflicting personalities and he spent much time in prayer. I know that's the hardest thing when you have people in the home and Satan knows that. So like I said yesterday, pray that the Lord will wake you up every morning. He knows the time you need. And this is a beautiful description. Um, it's long, but it's a beautiful word picture of what that looks like. Um, and maybe you can picture this when we have this quiet time. But this warning, many in their seasons of devotions fail of receiving the blessing of real communion with God. They earn too great haste. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps for a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. With their burdens, they return to their work. Now, I have to pray, Lord, bring my thoughts into captivity take over this time right now so that your mind, my mind's connected with your divine mind. I like to picture that connection. And he does it. I, I will have a plan of what I want to study. And it just goes a different direction. Those workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. They must give themselves time to think, to pray, to wait upon God for a physical, mental, and spiritual power. And for the sake of time, although you want me to keep reading, okay. <laughs> I know, every sentence is always powerful. They need the uplifting influence of his spirit. Receiving this, they will be quickened by fresh life. You need it every day and, the, and during the middle of the day. I think you need to take those moments, go to the bathroom, shut the door, or whatever it takes. The wearied, receiving this, okay, the wearied frame and tired brain will be refreshed and the burdened heart will be lightened. And here's this beautiful picture. Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. Happy will be the children of our homes and the students of our schools when parents and teachers shall learn in their own lives the precious experience pictured in these words from the Song of Songs. As the apple tree under the, wait a minute, I haven't advanced this, have I? 
I'm sorry. Okay. We'll start again here. So this is the word picture. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. He says, I love you, Jeannie. Wow. Every morning. <laughs> what a picture. And we want our kids to, to discover that, that they're not hopeless. No. Okay. Now, I'm going to add now another word of caution. I just discovered. I've been thinking about those social times when we parents get together with other parents. Sometimes I'll come home thinking, oh, my conversations, boy, they weren't so good. And, and we're all wanting to love the Lord and do our best, but it just, I don't know, the conversations sometimes get a little light and trifling, and I read what these conversations should be. You know, we should be encouraging each other, and I think we do that, but I've just, it's been on my heart, especially on Sabbath. Um, so this is what I read when I was reading about the story of Jesus going to Jerusalem. Jesus knows where he's headed. He knows that it's going to be him in 18 years. And, and in, those, in that time, he's got to turn things around. And he had this heavy work to do. And, but... He's going to Jerusalem, and everybody's just visiting and chattering. And so do you remember, he didn't choose to be with the other children. He chose to be with his parents. And then when he came back from Jerusalem, it's sad, and I don't know quite how to take all this, he planned that he'd go home alone with his parents. Now, maybe they didn't inquire, where is he? They just left without telling him. And, but he had wanted to go home with them alone. And this is why. Because people lose the presence of the Lord. And this is why it says in Desire of Ages that his parents lost the presence of the Lord for three. It was like the three days when he was crucified and then laid at rest in the tomb and then was resurrected. You know, three days Jesus wasn't present, it seemed. And, and that, she said, is an illustration of what happens to us in our conversations when we get together with other adults. And, and so I wanted to bring this out. There is necessity of carefulness of words and actions when Christians are associated together, lest Jesus be forgotten of them. And they pass along carelessly the fact that Jesus is not among them. Ellipsis, it's beautiful, but trying to fit it on my PowerPoint. Jesus will not be found in the company of those who are careless of his presence and who engage in conversation having no reference to their Redeemer in whom they profess their hopes of eternal life are centered through lack of meditation, watchfulness, 
of our conversation and prayer, they have lost all that is valuable. The divine rays of light emanating from Jesus are not with them, cheering them with their loving, elevating influence. And then it says they get very discouraged then, sort of have this discouragement and darkness. And, you know, it might take a little while to get back to the joy of the Lord. And, and I've just been pondering that. You know, I'm there. But I do know there's some people you can immediately connect with and you will have a very spiritual conversation. If you notice that, it's just instant. And, but how do you help the other person that you love to draw them back. And so I think maybe we need to pray before these times together that God can guide those conversations because we lose that sweet communion Jesus wants for us as we are with other families. Okay. There was something else that we are told. Now, Jesus already knew all the principles of true education. But we are told that we need to know them. And that's why we're here. So, what are they? <laughs> well, Beatrice just reminded you, family setting, nature, love, loving nature, and Bible study. And then she mentioned health and I'll say more about that, and work, um, character development. And then she added the principle of focusing on the uniqueness of each child, not this um, factory production. Each child guided by the Holy Spirit. I love that thought, Beatrice. Um, and I think our children will kind of tell you, oh, Mom, this is boring. I hate this. They'll sort of let you know you need to reevaluate. And I had that happen to me. I changed a textbook. It was cheaper. But, oh, it was bad. I had total, total, total rebellion. I am not going to do this. And I knew in my heart I wasn't liking it either. But now she's saying, I'm not going to do this. What do I do? So I drove her to Daddy's office, and she sat the rest of the day in Daddy's office. But I changed the textbook. <laughs> so you know, that was such a good point, Beatrice. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> she doesn't remember it. <laughs> good. Her memory's not good <laughs> in those areas. Hmm. Okay, and another one, um, oh, experience in practical life is indispensable. You know, my husband is a very practical guy. He he's, has a professional degree in business. He's an accountant. Well, he is just practical. If it's broken, he figures, he thinks he can fix it. I think... I need help. <laughs> so we make a good pair. But I did not come into this parenting as real practical, you know, with that practical ability. In fact, my parents had a house cleaner when I was growing up. They could afford it. And I'm looking back saying, 
Wow, I can't believe that. Now, I didn't think I was lazy growing up, but anyway. And I was recently in the home of um, a relative, and I understand she was a working mother and had three children that were teenagers, adopted children. And so she finally gave up in despair training these kids. If you're a working mom and you're trying to train, ah, it just doesn't work. So she hired a housekeeper. But God's plan is what? <laughs> work together and learn the skill and to be masters of that skill. Okay, so the parent needs to have that practical ability. And then they need to be orderly. They need to have habits of, um, am I jumping here? Okay, I'll read it as stated. Experience in practical life is indispensable. Order, thoroughness, punctuality, self-control, a sunny temper, evenness of disposition, self-sacrifice, integrity, and courtesy are essential qualifications. Wow. With God's help, we know that those things will help us be better, better um, parents and teachers, as Beecher so beautifully brought out that schedule on the wall. I just thought that was beautiful. You can't miss it on the wall. It's not a scribbled in some book, and everybody can see it. It was beautiful. Um, but I want to speak to the issue of self-control. That's what we're teaching our children, right? That's bottom line, self-government. But how about teachers, parents? That is so hard, those words. And I've done a word study from um, Mind, Character, and Personality on Communication. Excellent book, but it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough to read those words, but again, there were some word pictures. Um, and I guess I jumped ahead, maybe not. Okay, here it is. Learn the eloquence of silence, parents. <laughs> wow, I like that, the thought that, okay, I'm not saying anything. I'm so upset. I'm gritting my teeth. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. But she calls it eloquence. Wow. Was Jesus, did he know that? He was led as a lamb to the slaughter? And he didn't say anything? And I'm sure there's a lot of things he didn't say to Judas. And... Do I only have five minutes or 15? I still got 15? 15, yes. Okay. I saw you move forward, got apprehensive here. Sorry. Okay. Um, that eloquence of silence. And then I was thinking, well, that's what Mrs. White means when she says, don't immediately attack what's just happened. You need time with the spirit, and your kid needs time with the spirit. You both got to kind of... You know, have that time. Now, I know if one's beaten up the other, you have to deal with it. I had that the other day with three. One swing, three boys. 
the littlest, beating on the biggest, naturally. I mean, how else could he get his attention? He's little, he's big. But it doesn't work. Anyway, so I brought in the oldest, quiet, alone from the others, because they're all going to add their two bits. And then we could calmly talk about it. But I'm still trying to figure out how to deal with one swing, three boys. <laughs> so if anyone ponders that and lets me know, because there's always, who's first? <laughs> you know, you can take turns, you can time it, but anyway. That silence. You do have time to quickly say, connect with the Lord and say, help, Lord, what should I do? He knows. And then this is the other beautiful quote. Um, I don't know why this isn't in here. A holy restraint, it's called. And I'm getting an echo when I turn to the side. I don't know why that is, but... I'm wanting to read that. Not find yet. Is it okay? Okay, well you if you don't hear me, at least you can read it. <laughs> A holy restraint. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now maybe Rob, I don't know if you're in the way of their words. We can have the salvation of God in our families, but we must believe it, live it, have a continuing abiding faith and trust in God. And here we go. We must subdue a hasty temper and control our words, and in this we shall gain great victories. Oh, I memorized this and prayed about it. Unless we control our words and temper, we're slaves to Satan. We are in subjection to him. And do you get a word picture here? We're the slave over here with a chain. He leads us captive. All jangling and unpleasant, impatient, fretful words are an offering presented to his satanic majesty. And it's a costly offering, more costly than any sacrifice we can make for God for it destroys the peace and happiness of whole families, destroys health, and is eventually the cause of forfeiting an eternal life of happiness. We know in heaven this isn't going to be. Um, somehow, at the lateness of our hour last night, we didn't get the last one in there. Anyway, I'm sorry about that. It says that there will be a holy restraint on our mouth. And I like to picture, okay, God's hands over my mouth. And it will become a habit of saying, of only speaking gently, quietly. I know something that's helped me recently is to remember to immediately almost whisper. I've tried it with my husband. I'll just, I want to say something and I'll just sort of say, well, did you think real quietly in a whisper, 
and it has an incredible effect instead of loud and clear. Didn't, did you think of this? You know, and I remember being in kindergarten once with a very talented teacher, and when it got very noisy, maybe teachers know the secret, she quit talking. And all of a sudden, hmm, the kids would, or she, well, she'd just lower her voice, and nobody could hear anything. And I, I always remember that, wow, that really worked good. But of course, our human flesh is to raise the voice that they can hear. You're, you know, and so with God's help, you know, and I know Jesus, when he spoke, it was a melodious voice. Mrs. White was told by God that her voice was too loud. <laughs> Imagine being told by God your voice is too loud. Now she had to speak and be heard, I guess, but he said your voice is too loud. You need to, you know, use your voice properly. And so she learned to lower it. And he then gave her an example. She heard Jesus' voice, sweet and melodious. Wow, with God's help. And I have some promises here. Okay. I just knew I wouldn't have enough time. Okay, here's the promise. I can find a teacher's advantages may have been limited. You're not trained as a teacher, right? So that he may not possess as high literary qualifications as might be desirable, and yet, if he has true insight into human nature through the Holy Spirit, I added that, um, if he has a genuine love for his work and an appreciation of his magnitude, need help, and a determination to improve, if he is willing to labor earnestly and perseveringly, he will comprehend the needs of his pupils and by a sympathetic, progressive spirit will inspire them to follow as he seeks to lead them onward and upward. And as the highest, sorry, as the highest preparation for your work, I point you to the words, the life, the methods of the prince of teachers. I bid you consider him. Here is your true ideal. And on this next page, Education 282, there was about four beautiful promises from the Bible. But, you know, we left them out. But um, I will never leave you or forsake you was one of them. And, um, here, but here's, it says, behold it, Jesus, dwell on it until the spirit of the divine teacher shall take possession of your heart and life, reflecting as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. You will be transformed into the same image. This is the secret of power over your pupils. Reflect him. Wow. I know that's what we want. And I was saying I thought I had failed. And the other day I thought of this. God's showing me lessons in nature. I had planted some seeds my daughter had given me. She has great um, faith in these dried up, dead looking seeds to grow in my soil. 
So I dutifully put them in there in the fall and just covered them up with dirt and said, they'll really grow. I don't have to do anything else. And they were um, black-eyed Susans. And I don't know what happened. The next year, nothing came up. And I thought, sure enough, see, it takes more than that. And um, this year, this spring, I have a huge crop of black-eyed seasons. I was so excited, and I thought, God, that's, that's what happened in my little ones. I planted in my, you know, human way these little seeds in their hearts, and um, I didn't think they were sprouting very well or even growing, but God took over. And I have a, oh, if I can find it, jump ahead here. Well, the thought was that when Jesus was all done, three and a half years, and he left, that then they felt their need of the Holy Spirit. They felt it, and the Holy Spirit then took over the rest of the work. And wow, what did it look like? They changed the world. And that's what our generation can do. Um, so maybe I'll get to that quote. I think it's at the end here. But our time's up, or it'd be a good stopping point. And let me look here and see if I covered that. Yeah, tomorrow we'll continue this look at Jesus parenting his disciples, and we'll look at the companionship. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.